Welcome to Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Do you sometimes feel alone in life with personal and interpersonal struggles and challenges? We'll show you that you are not alone and that you can learn and thrive from your challenges and thereby live a healthy life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Did you know that American kids are more narcissistic and meaner than they ever were before? Apparently, today's teens are 40% less sympathetic than their peers of 30 years ago, and narcissism has increased 30% over the same time frame. In my practice, working as a licensed mental health therapist, I often see children and adults who suffer from self-esteem issues and have been bullied by some of their less empathetic peers. Is there an explanation for this lack of empathy in today's world? And is there something we can do about it? Today, I've invited Michelle Borba. She is an educational psychologist who specializes in parenting, bullying, and character development. She's written about the shift of character in today's children and is here today to help us understand why empathy can help our children succeed and what we as parents can do to help. She's also busy working on another book at the moment. So thank you very much for taking your time away from writing to join me today on Perspectives, Michelle. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm honored to be here and thank you. This is a topic that's so crucial. (laughs) So... Tell me, how did how did we get here? Is it a shift in society? Is it the parenting? How did how are we here? <laughs> it, well, it's all the above. It it wasn't it isn't an overnight phenomenon. It's a gradual, slow process. The key is to do a heads up and realize we do have a problem. Number one is society is changing. We're not honoring and thinking of kindness and empathy as important. We did an amazing study of thousands of kids and asked teens across the U.S. what's most important in your house, that you're successful, that you're happy, that you're kind and caring, and only 20% of American kids said that their parents even said that kindness mattered. Well, that's the first thing. We need to send that message that it is important in our home. A lot of our parenting practices don't seem to match with the science. For instance, our discipline. We do know that the best way to raise an empathic kid is to use inductive discipline, to, to call them on it, any infraction uh-huh. of caring behavior, but also let them know that, hey, that wasn't right. What are you going to do to make it wrong, to turn it around? What we do too often is spanking or yelling or time out, and that also doesn't help a child learn empathy. So it isn't one thing. It's a combination but it is something that can be learned, and that's what we're here today to talk about. Well, so let's backtrack for a minute and just clarify. Can you uh, define empathy for us, please? Empathy is feeling with another person. It's not sympathy. That's I feel for you. But empathy, when you feel with someone, it's you're in sync with that person, and we do know it is an enormous, wonderful, miraculous concept because it actually helps you become more courageous to step in, to be able to, to feel more more of that person's pain, and you're more likely to be caring and kind as a result. Great. And then you talk a lot about narcissism as well, so I'm curious about the connection between the empathy and the narcissism? I mean, the statistics that I read from your website are just frightening. They are frightening, and that is, first of all, from the University of Michigan. What they've been doing is tracking incoming college freshmen in 72 different studies, thousands of children over the last 30 years, and they give them this little simple narcissism personality test. If you see someone being distressed, how likely would you be to be distressed yourself? Or if you saw someone who wasn't treated fairly, how likely would you be to step in and help? What they found was troubling, and that hit around the year 2000, and that is empathy began to go down with our children, and narcissism, I'm better than you, or me is more important than we, began to go up. It's now increased almost 58% in American kids in the last 30 years. Wow. And is that, 
Is that because of things that you said 2000? I, w- I would have almost expected you to say 2001 um, when the Twin <laughs> Towers went down. But you said 2000. So I'm wondering um, what what else was it? I know you talked about parenting, but... Well, a some- lot of... Yes, I think the first thing is it's a buildup of a number of factors combined. But many researchers were saying that what hit the year 2000 particularly in more accelerated, technologically advanced countries, is the smartphone. So our kids became more and more technologically plugged-in users, and we discovered that American kids, middle school kids, are now more comfortable texting than talking. What does that have to do with empathy? Well, the first step to empathy is you've got to be able to remember, feel with the person, You can't feel with the person unless you can turn and look at their face or look at their body language or listen to their voice and have what's called emotional literacy. We don't get that by circling emojis or looking down at a text. And so face-to-face connection seems to be also a pivotal problem in the United States and in technologically advanced countries. Well, and I actually see a lot of that in my practice, and I see that, well, I think we all see that if we go to a restaurant, if we just open our eyes when we go out, we see everyone is on their phones and they are texting. And I I have had multiple situations with clients where the problem arose because somebody misunderstood a text message or an email. And so that does make a lot of sense that well, you know, we've yeah, lost and, that and connection. When, you look at also, when we look at texting, we also realize it's surface. You don't get the deep connotation of what's really going on. It's like, here's what's happening, but it's not anything more in-depth. And so if there's one little solution to this, and by the way, all of this has solutions, the single right. most important thing is talk emotions far more with your child. We know that already at age two, we talk emotions far more with our daughters than we do with our sons. Yale has been watching us behind two-way mirrors, and they're going, my gosh. And already at age two, we're talking about how would you feel if that happened to you? And, oh, Sally, you look so sad. And, oh, my gosh, what are you going to do about it? When we talk to our sons at age two, it's more about, boys, don't cry. You're going to lose your friend if you do that. Give them the real wonderful tool to be able to learn emotional literacy. And that's a pivotal, easy fix that we can do in our own homes. And I have to say, I'm I'm honestly surprised by the gender difference um, because I would have thought by this time in 2019 that we would be a little bit better about that that gender gap. Um, so do you do you see that when you're out speaking to people and um, doing your research that it still yes, is? Yes. The interesting thing is. Oh, thank you for the question. Because the majority of my time, I'm on the road. I'm in schools. I'm doing focus groups. I'm talking to parents. I'm giving speeches. And teachers are the ones, and probably because they have not one child or two or three in their home, but they're dealing with sometimes 150 a day. They're the ones who keep coming up. There's something going on with our boys. We're not helping them learn to feel. Our boys, they're stopping to learn emotional literacy, or it's still not cool. And that's a terrible scenario. It means we need to be in a catch-up mode very, very quickly in order to help our boys become good, strong human beings. Yes, I would. I agree completely. And once again, I will reiterate that I find it it's sad and also shocking that we're still in this place. Um, I wonder if the teens and the young adults that are growing up now will be in a better place to parent or are we still going to be continuing this cycle of um because it's it's how we're raised is if we are when we parent i find that we tend to um sort of fall back on how how we were raised yes if there's one concern in all of this it's that we do know that millennials have some of the lowest empathy. In fact, 20% of Fortune 500 companies are now doing uh, empathy training because they feel that their millennials right there and who are their employees are so low in it. So there's another red flag. If we're doing empathy training in the job force, think about that same person going home and trying to be a parent. We're, we need to do a far better job. This doesn't mean we're going to throw out everything 
But it does mean that empathy is made up of habits. When I, I wrote the book on selfie, what I was trying to do is figure out if this is something we can do. By the way, our children are hardwired at birth for empathy. They have right. the ability already at, at one year of age, you can watch them, and they're already tuned into others. When we go into nurseries, the fastest reason a newborn baby cries is that they hear another baby cry. It doesn't mean they have empathy, but they have the seeds for it. All we need to do is cultivate it. We do a great job that first year, and then all of a sudden, it becomes kind of a soft skill, or isn't that important in the overall scheme of, of success and happiness? When in reality, we do know it makes a, a child a critical thinker in the classroom. It makes them far better employed. It's the best antidote we have to stop bullying. It's the best way to help kids create a healthy relationship. Empathy gives kids an enormous advantage. So the first step of all of this is first realize we can cultivate this as parents. But number two is realize it's never too late, but it's sure easier when they're little. Well, absolutely. I think with parenting, the the habits and the teaching that we can do from day one are the the ones that are easier to do and and stick the best because it's that's how the child is raised. So you, with all of this talk about empathy, you wrote this book called Unselfie, and you talk about the selfie syndrome. Um, which is a little bit of what we've already covered here. But I was wondering if we could sort of go through some of these components of what you call the selfie syndrome. Um, you highlight a variety of trends and you start off with parents <laughs> being bombarded uh, with bad advice. <laughs> yeah, well, I th- in all fairness, we're doing the best job we can. I think what we're also using is antiquated uh, baby books or child-rearing books that doesn't keep up with what the science says will make a difference in our children's lives. So we also parent on how we were parented. So we've become this cycle of doing the same thing over and over again. The selfie syndrome, I love that term, because it actually came from a group of teens who were looking very depressed as girls. And I said, well, what's causing it all? Why are you all so worried and stressed? And one 15-year-old looked at me as she's texting, and finally, she had this aha moment. She goes, well, that's the problem. We're all looking down. We're not looking at each other. Maybe what we should do is stop taking selfies of ourselves and flip the lens and start taking, like, unselfies and start thinking we, not me. A selfie kid is a kid who thinks only me. Now, little kids will because they're egocentric. But our first step is to realize it can be cultivated and we can turn it around. The second thing is to realize that the fastest way to actually instill empathy is so easy. And that is model it. If your child right. had only your behavior to watch just today or this week, would he say that you were kind and caring and you were doing empathetic things or worrying about the neighbor next door or saying, let's go make some cookies and bring them to grandma because she looks sad? Does he hear you talking on the phone to your girlfriend and saying, oh, I'm so sorry you feel like that. Oh, my gosh, what can we do? Let me come over right now and try to hold your hand or give you a hug. Those are the things that matter most. Sometimes it's not the things we say, it's just the things we do. Our kids are watching and copying. And right now, empathy across this country is in dormant state. Adults are doing, I think, a very, very poor modeling job of talking or modeling empathy, and so our kids aren't catching it. Right. Well, and that brings me to another point that you make about parenting has become a competition. I mean, before, parenting was parenting, raising children, but now there's this added component of what what is Sally's child doing and what is John's child doing and how do we compare to that? So now we too, as adults, are comparing ourselves to each other and how we parent. Yeah, and it takes us down a ding in terms of our own self-confidence and it's not going to do a favor to our child because if there was anything best in terms of a parenting strategy, it's also using empathy as a parent with our own kid. What does my child need? What works for this child, not the kid next door? What can I do to help my child be his best version of himself? That's where we're all wrong because we can't do it by comparing to any other child. 
and any parent who's got more than one kid knows that each kid is different. You've got to figure out what works for that child and do the best you can for raising your kid to be to become their best. And I've noticed that with the parents that I work with, that they will have multiple children and they will recognize that each child is different and yet they still struggle with comparison, not necessarily comparison between their children, but certainly comparison between them, their family, and other families. So it sounds like this is a a multi-pronged approach that, yes, we need to teach the empathy to our children, but we also need to be focused on teaching the parents as well. And with that, we're going to go to a short commercial break. So please stay tuned. We are talking to Michelle Borba about the importance of empathy and raising successful and happy children. If you have questions, you can email me, Dr. Vidisha Patel, at drv4kids at yahoo.com, and we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel, and I'm here in conversation with Michelle Borba, psychologist and expert in parenting and character development. And we are talking currently about the selfie syndrome. So, Michelle, if we can just continue down that road a little bit more, and if you can give us some of the other highlights of the selfie syndrome. Well, other than the fact that we do know it's about me, not we. The other thing that we, we do too often is uh, we're beginning to praise our children too much. And so we become, we really be raising our kids to be almost little praiseaholics as opposed to realizing it's who you are that really makes a difference. Yes, praise matters. But we do know that if you praise mother uh, as a thank you, that was being such a helper as opposed to thank you for helping. So you praise right. it as a noun and not a verb you actually are more likely to help the child adopt the virtue. We know that uh, another problem with it is that our children are technologically driven and addicted, but but 66% of kids say so too are parents. In fact, they say we're the 
ones that are using technology more than them. So the, maybe the first thing on that one is put your phone down, put the device down, look face-to-face with your child, and talk more. We do know another problem is that our children are reading less. Oh, there's a tragedy. But right. we also know that one of the things about one of the greatest ways to build empathy, books. The journey into another world, I mean, from Charlotte's Web to Stone Fox to look at the books that you read as a kid. You'll never forget them as long as you live because they right. were called emotional literacy. So find those books that are moral, imaginative, that help kids journey into another world. Don't stop reading out loud to your child. The average age American kids stop reading for pleasure is around the age of nine. The average age when kids stop. We stop reading out loud is the same age, around the age of nine. There's simple little things we can do, simple little tweaks. And if we do, we're going to raise healthier, happier children who are also more caring and, from all the research we know about empathy, more successful out there in the 21st century. So it's interesting what you say about the reading because I... I notice if I go back to when my kids were around the age of nine, they they are big readers and they continue to read. But I would say closer to middle school, the homework increased for them. And as the homework increased, their complaint was, we don't have time to read for pleasure because we have all this homework we have to do for school and which involved reading. So they, they were reading books and things, but they were not having those moments to be able to just sit quietly and read as often as they would have liked. Um, so do you think that that plays into it? The, the schoolwork, the pressure of succeeding on the, on tests and, you know, moving to the next level. Yes, we've become a test-driven, grade-obsessed culture where kids don't have time to just enjoy their own company, let alone cloud glaze every once in a while and know that there's mud, sand, and dirt outside. And play plays a key role in empathy building. So it goes hand-in-hand, the overscheduled child, the lack of reading. We do know that one of the first key skills on helping a child be more we as opposed to me is sandbox days. When it's my turn and it's your turn, it's learning to talk and chat to one another. Well, sandbox has also been removed from our kids' lives. In terms of reading, the emotionally charged weeks are absolutely core because they also have moral dilemmas in them. And so it also helps children develop the second habit of empathy, which is moral identity. I know that they have a packed scheduled pace, but... You can get books on tape and put them in a car. Our children are living in carpools these days. Listen together. When your child is reading, whatever it is, Wonder in Middle School or Charlotte's Web, maybe that's their book that they've been read to at school or they're required to read on their own, get a copy for yourself. I, I, I'm a mom of three boys. And I remember there was a time when they stopped talking about the books they were reading. So I'd always mm-hmm. copy myself and read, you know, Diary of a Young Girl. I'd make them read it themselves. But the conversations that we had afterwards were Oh, my gosh, are you on page 58? Can you believe what's happening to Anne Frank? Frank needs to read it in because reading is core and critical. We also know, by the way, as an adult, you as an adult, if you read more emotionally charged books, you're actually more likely to have higher levels of empathy. So don't stop reading yourself either. Right. That's great advice. I'm a huge reader. I I always have a book with me. I Actually, I have several books with me wherever I go. Um, And I try to impress that upon my clients as well and my family because it is it it shows you it teaches you it teaches you about different types of people different perspectives and it can bring people together in the form of book clubs so i imagine you might be oh, a fan so, yes i'm so glad you mentioned the book club because one of the coolest things i'm seeing with a group of moms in middle school who realized yes their kids were in middle school but there were boys, and they were pulling away. So the smart moms decided to get a group together of their sons with the moms or their dads, and they would find a book that they could read together and then 
sit back and listen to the kids and their conversations. It was mothers that eye opening because the kids were talking with one another as middle school kids do. They were missing some of those key moments and key perceptions that they were having a chance to hear it. All the mothers had to do was supply pizza. And with <laughs> pizza, good food, and company, the kids will come. So try that as a wrap. That's a great idea. I love that idea. And it brings the adults and the children together as well, because as you've already said, and I'm a firm believer as well that we're losing those connections and we just don't have, because of a variety of reasons, including the hurried child and overextending on everyone's part, people, families have less time to physically spend together engaged in something productive or interesting that's not part of daily life. Um, or that's not a requirement, I should say. So this kind of thing, a book club seems like a fabulous idea. Um, so also now when we think about this um, shift with all the homework and all the other activities that kids get involved in, what is the role of schools and teachers in all of this? Do you, do you speak, do you do trainings with teachers? Do you, I assume yeah. you go to schools. Thank you for that question. Uh, over the years, I have spoken to over 1 million parents and teachers on 43 countries. I find that it is not just a U.S. problem. I just came back from Jordan and Egypt, and they are concerned as well. So this is what is called a global trend and a global issue. That said, I just also came from Ridgemont, New Jersey where they're seeing as just a public school system that homework is just really getting to all and everybody. And so what they've done is created a no homework policy on Wednesdays. Why Wednesdays? Because that's when most of the kids were doing either church groups or synagogues or having a time where uh, they wanted family time together, and they found that it was really bringing the community together. There's some very innovative things that are happening, and I think what we need to do is just keep our radar up and go, hey, that's a good idea. We can bring that to the school and, and, and copy it. Educators are very concerned about it. In fact, probably the best buyer right now of unselfie or schools. I, I'm going to Arizona next week and they just bought 1,500 copies, one for every single teacher so that they could start implementing it in their schools because the teachers were concerned about the break of empathy in their students. We can all work together on this. It isn't just a parent issue. It's a community issue and we've got to get on board. Well, I think that's fantastic that this, the school system bought copies of the book for all the teachers, and in your book, you have nine basic habits that need to be formed in order to help um, someone, children in this case, become more empathetic. I was wondering if you would go through those habits with us so that our listeners can can learn them and start practicing themselves and oh, with their children. Yes, thank you. You know, the biggest question I had when I was writing on selfie is, well, if empathy is going down and it can be cultivated, then what activates it? So I spent 10 years researching everything about empathy, and at that point, I only wanted the what can we teach, what can we do, and what's simple and doesn't cost a dime. The best news is not technology. There's no tutors involved, and it's not another textbook. There's just simple <laughs> little things, and empathy is made up of nine habits, from, and this is your room to tomb lesson plan. You can use these in adults or you can use them with your one-year-old. You can also use them with your teens and it's never too late. But it starts the gateway to empathy. Habit number one is emotional literacy. You've got to be able to start reading emotions off of someone else's face in their voice tone. By the way, kids don't even like to talk on a phone. They only want to text. So there goes the voice or in their right. body language. So what do you do? First, just intentionally start talking emotions far more with your child. As you're walking to the shopping mall, let's look for people who look happy. Oh, my gosh, look at that man over here. How does his face look? When your child is two, then you read those glorious books like When Sally Gets Mad, Really, Really Mad, that have wonderful pictures of emotions, and you point to each one and say, make your face look like that emotion. You can watch TV together, together, but every once in a while, turn the volume off and 
by feeling charades. Let's just watch. How does he feel? Oh, my gosh, look at that man over here. And what you'll begin to do is rebuild emotional literacy in your children. It's wonderful. You can also do, hey, let's see how dad feels when he comes home. Watch his body language, and you'll know if now is the time to ask him for the allowance raise. It can be very <laughs> helpful as an entire family. So just weave it in with what you're doing. Unselfie will give you over 300 ideas. You've got to choose one and keep doing it as a habit over and over again. But the gateway is emotions. Start talking them, point them out, so your kids have that emotion vocabulary. And it's interesting with emotions because I find when I work with younger kids, really little kids, they are much more open about yes. talking about emotions and they may not have the terminology, but if you give them the vocabulary, they're happy to do it. But I find that as kids start going into closer to middle school and high school, they they have the vocabulary, but they're not willing to have the conversation. So yeah. how how does how do you what recommendations do you have for that? You make it cool. You just keep talking about it. What happens along the way is we stop talking emotions. Ali's a mental schooler. He doesn't want to talk feelings. But you can watch incredible movies. I mean, how could you not watch Dunkard and cry your way through it? Sitting there with a child and go, my gosh, how do you think they feel right now? Just questions like that. You can Skype with Grandma. For heaven's sakes, the Internet's going to keep going here. But you can Skype and you can pose the question to your middle school child. You know, watch Grandma and listen carefully. And you'll know when she's tired. And then you can say, Grandma, I've got to go now. Thanks for listening. So you can just time it. And there are subtle little ways along the way you can do it. You're so right about the younger children. They did a fabulous study with five-year-olds five-year-olds, and they discovered that five-year-olds are much more courageous and much more willing to step in and and be the upstander and not the bystander who watches the cruelty. Why? Because they work together. You can watch two little five-year-olds talking. How do you feel? I feel scared. How are you feeling? I'm so scared, too. Okay, then let's go talk to the teacher together. You don't do that when you get older. You don't talk about the feelings together. And so your courageous ability actually goes down. And your bystanding goes up and your upstanding goes down. So we're trying to get our kids to get to habit eight, which is courage. But it takes a lot of skills along the way. Right. So we have about two minutes before the break. Can you talk about your second habit or start talking yes. about it? And we'll continue after the break. Yes. Habit number two is moral identity. It's your values planted inside your child. Why? Because kids who see themselves as a caring person, who realize that caring or kindness or fairness or justice matter, are more likely to, says Nancy Eisenberg's research at the University of Arizona, be kind, be caring, be fair. So how do you do it? First of all, talk about your values. Not a whole bunch of them, but the ones that matter most to you and why they matter. Halt your child immediately. Anytime he goes across the line, stop. That wasn't caring. And in our family, we are caring. The coolest thing that I saw was a family who creates a family mantra. And that uh-huh. is, one girl told me, we all just, my mom and dad just told us all go down to the kitchen one day. She was six at the time. She was 23 when she was telling me this. And she says it was my most unforgettable moment. There was papers and pens all over the floor. My dad said, we're going to talk about what kind of family we want to be and what we want to be remembered for. So how do we want to be remembered? We brainstormed all these virtues. And then my mom said, okay, there's too many. So what's the single most important virtue we stand for? We circled caring. And that's how we became, now their last name was Perlin. That's how we became the caring Perlin family. And I said, so how did you remember it? And she laughed and said it was impossible not to remember it. My mom must have said it 50 times a day. Remember where the caring pearl, and she'd drop us off. Where the caring pearl, and be caring. All day long, she'd remind me. She said it so much, we became it. And that's exactly how conscience is born. That's a great story. And with that, we're going to head for a short commercial break. Don't go away. We'll be right back to talk some more with Michelle Borba about how we can better instill empathy in our children. We'll be right back. 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number 4, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to the last segment of our show today. You're listening to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Please get in touch with me via email at drv4kids at yahoo.com with any questions or comments. I would love to hear from you. I'm here with Michelle Borba discussing the importance of raising empathetic children. So, Michelle, let's um, see if we can get in the rest of the, the nine habits into our last segment here. So, I think... We're on habit number three. Habit number three is perspective taking. It's the cognitive side of empathy. We've been talking about really the emotional side, but the cognitive side is how would you feel if that happened to you? Once you know habit number one, emotional literacy, you can do habit number three, and you simply start having kids get into the shoes of the other person. With little kids, you can actually... Help them step into shoes. I, I've seen a, a wonderful teacher who was teaching Charlotte's Web, and she had shoes for each character. Like, here's Charlotte, and here's Wilbur. Step into the shoe of Charlotte. How are you feeling if you're Charlotte? Now, step into Wilbur. How would you feel if you were Wilbur? You can't do that with a team. But you can ask, <laughs> how would you feel if that happened to you? What would you need in order to feel better? And then later on, flip it. Not how would you feel, but how does your friend feel what does he need in order to feel better? Keep asking the feels plus needs question. It is absolutely critical, and it's one of the simplest ways to boost perspective taking in our kids. Habit number four, we kind of talked about. It's moral imagination, and that's the piece I think you and I love the most. It's using books or film to help kids journey into another world. That means you give them a different perspective taking. That's habit number three. But we've got to be selective on the kinds of books and films we give our children. Too often, we give them not enough diversity, not enough differences in races and cultures, different countries, different genders. So take a moment to say, what kind of books and films are your kids currently reading, how can we just tweak it up a notch so they have a more opportunity to get into the shoes of someone else? Use those films. You can go to Common Sense Media, by the way. It's a fabulous website that lists wonderful books for children at each age for different kinds of virtues and values. Unselfy gives dozens of books as well, some kind of questions you can ask your kids. But the what, is, um, what is that website again, Michelle? Common Sense Media. Okay. That's a, that's a great website, resource. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, there's so many wonderful resources out there. This isn't buying something else. It's using what's already available. My website is michelleborba.com. I'm a 1L Michelle. But if you look there, I, I have a blog of 100 films that every child should watch that are empathy-driven, 50 books that every kid should read that are empathy-driven. Those are the kinds that at least give you an idea. The other possibility is, Go to a children's librarian. They are a godsend. And ask yes. them, my child is a boy, or yeah, I've got a girl. She's middle-aged, or she's three. What's a good book that helps them get into the shoes of someone else? And they will give you stacks. Well, and even take your children to the library. That's not something that we do anymore. Oh, People Evan, are downloading books. and library. Please expose them to a real book. One other little thing about the real book, I know a lot of the kids are reading digitally, but we do know that children who really are developing a habit of reading start by reading a real book. It gives them a stronger sense and the stronger empathy piece in the book comes through. Later, when they love reading and they can understand it, you can give them the iPad, but keep them on a real book as long as you can because it really starts to instill that moral imagination piece. Research says much better. Well, and also with books, you you feel the paper they're in especially in young children's books yeah. they're beautiful illustrations and so again that same connection that you were talking about earlier about how we need to connect and see and feel what the other people are feeling you can do that through a real book which is much harder to do in a digital yeah. version yeah and you can see from each of the four habits that we've been talking about so far for instance reading each one of them is also because we aren't doing the habit nearly enough. Another reason why empathy is going down and narcissism is going up. Habit five is self-regulation. This is a piece that we sometimes forget to realize there's a connection between empathy and self-control. Our children right now are the most stressed generation on record. Their, their depression, their anxiety is an epidemic skyrocketing. What's that have to do with empathy? Well, when your stress builds, you dial your empathy down. It's real hard to feel for another person when you're in survival mode. So chapter five, I would say, is the one to go through immediately because it will give you dozens of ways to help your child learn to cope. Don't try them all, but you're trying right. to find one thing. For some kids, it could be mindfulness. For another kid, it's deep breathing. For another child, it's exercise. Some kids, middle school kids, said it's soothing music where they can get themselves into another place. By the way, some kids said it's reading. So find what helps your child debrief, relax, and then instill it as a habit because I think that's one of the greatest things you can help your child learn before they finally leave you and go out in the real world how to cope. And I I want to interject there as well. What you said is very important because I find that parents come to my practice wanting tools and techniques that they can use, but they are collecting dozens of them. And what happens, I think, is that you people don't give one particular technique enough time to develop. And so they say, oh, that doesn't work. So tell me something else. And so yeah. this creation uh, of a habit... I'm going to reiterate that because I think that is so crucial, just crucial. I was dealing with a focus group of high school kids in Greensboro, very, very smart children. And I asked them, I put the nine habits on the board, and I said, which ones do your friends need, not you? Which ones do your friends need? And immediately, they always point to emotional literacy. We don't know how to read each other. Self-regulation, we are really, really stressed. And, uh, the la and uh, number eight, which is moral courage. I said, of those, what can teachers and parents do to help you really better? One kid said, well, you know that one on self-regulation? The big thing that parents and teachers are doing wrong, they teach it to us or they lecture it to us, but we don't get a chance to practice it, so it never becomes a habit. You don't learn it, says this kid, in a textbook or in a one-day practice drill. we got to do it over and over and over and over and over and over until it becomes us. So don't give up on us. Just keep practicing it. Practice it as a family. But the key is you want your children to be able to do it without you. Right. Right. And to remember it, to have it be innate so that when they leave innate. home, they have it with them. Yeah. And therefore the word habit. 
So that is that is very important. I agree. Um, so the next, I think we're on habit number six. Habit number I'm, six is practice kindness. And what we discover from the research from Harvard is the more you practice it. Now, kindness can be simple like just smiling at someone, but it could also be something like saying hello. Well, can I help you? What can I do? What we're failing to do is give kids a repertoire of what kindness looks like. They're not seeing it modeled nearly enough. What's the kind of TV shows that they're watching? Their peers are becoming more meaner, as we do know. Bullying is increasing, and kindness is kind of going into dormant mode. So think of simple little things because what we discover is the more you do one, like even smiling, it, is, it boomerangs. You smile, the other kid smiles back, and what happens is you go, oh, it works. The best idea I've ever seen was a mom who practiced what she called the two-kind rule. She said she had three daughters. They were very, very young. She wanted her kids to grow up and to be smart, but she also wanted them to grow up and to be kind. So she made one rule in their house. And today you made this house, she do at least two kind things. It's the two-kind rule. And when you come home, you're going to tell us and report at dinner what the two kind things were and what impact it had on the on the other people. What happened is it became more and more natural. Uh, the kids talked and heard about uh, their siblings doing kinder things, and it just grew and spiraled. I now watch her children. By the way, the girls are in their 30s. They're very <laughs> smart, but they are three of the kindest kids I've ever seen because the mom intentionally just kept cultivating kindness. Habit number this, seven this, is collaboration. Okay. We're a we world, not a me world. Our children are in hyper-competitive mode. They're comparing each other, and as a result, they don't know how to get along. But if you looked at the top 21st century skills that the Global Economic Summit just came up with and said, empathy is listed, so too is collaboration. So help your children learn to just play with one another, to get along with one another, to be a good team sport with one another. Uh, don't compete kids with one another. You know, at, at, instead, talk about we. Uh, encourage them, encourage one another. And if you start doing that a little more, yes, it's a competitive winner-take-all world. But they also need to learn how to get along, and collaboration is becoming a lost art as well because they're comparing themselves so much to each other. There's so many cool things in that Chapter uh, 7 on collaboration. The key is to stress we, not me, with your child, and then help them learn the skills of collaboration. We do know that the top skill of collaborators is they encourage one another. So teach them how to give each other high fives or good job or, hey, let's keep going. What will happen, it will spin the other kids on the team on or your peers on, and they develop more healthy relationships. And that's really interesting because in the work world, we are, we've moved away from the individual offices with the closed doors and there's much more of an open plan because that's what's expected as an adult in the work world that we work together. So the sooner children can learn it, the better off they'll be going forward when they're out in the work world as well. Absolutely, because our employers are saying our kids are not collaborators. So let's start a lot sooner. We're moving into habit number eight. And you're, I hope that you're seeing that each of these habits sort of mushroom and spill over to the next one. So it starts with emotional literacy. You still need moral identity and perspective taking. But habit number eight is, I think, the best antidote we have to bullying. And it's helping your kids learn moral courage, how to speak up and stand up and help one another. I learned this one when I was doing a Dateline special, and I was teaching kids how to stick up for one another. And I discovered that those who do, when they see bullying, and by the way, it was they didn't realize that the bullying that they were seeing was actually actors who were paid to bully. But we were looking for which kids will step in. And we discovered that those who do have empathy, but they've also taught been taught how to step in. So keep the empathy going. Keep the emotional literacy going. But also give your children at a very young age and then keep going tools to be able to step in. For instance, I teach what's called Bully Buster, B-U-S-T-E-R. It's an acronym. But the simplest, easiest way to, to help if you see someone who's been treated unfairly or is being bullied is to befriend the child. Move 
it's the kid who is being bullied, not the child who's the bully. Bullies are looking for power. Very right. often what kids do is they say towards the bully, no, you need to say a thing. But that's the key to kids because they it's very hard to speak up and stand up to a bully. I say, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, don't. But just walk towards the kid who's being bullied. And what you'll actually do is you'll draw other kids that are empathetic towards that child. And over and over again, you can stop a bully just because of the power you're giving the other child. There's a lot That's of other wonderful. things you certainly that... could exit the situation. By just standing there, you're giving the bully the power. But you could also um, say something. And if you say something, it's just stop, period. Or cut it out, period. Or that's not right, period. And move on. Right. Not and, wrong and, dissertation. And we're going to run out of time, Michelle. So will you um, give us the last habit so that our listeners have the complete set? The last <laughs> habit? Yeah, the last habit is raising an altruistic child. An altruistic <laughs> change maker. The easiest way to do that is create some service projects. Find what your child is passionate about. Given the opportunity to do good, every child when I was researching empathy and unselfy told me those kids who were altruistic, they all said it was one moment that changed my life when my mom or my dad had me do something of giving towards someone else. It was a look in the person's eye that said, I can do this. I can make a difference. <laughs> Face-to-face connection is where it starts, and that's what empathy is all about. So what I've what I've heard throughout all of this, and these are fabulous, fabulously outlined as well in your book, Unselfie, it's, it sounds like it's a lot about intentional parenting, not just when our children are toddlers and babies, but continuously throughout life and the importance of modeling this behavior, following it ourselves so that our children and the community can see how we are. Because if each one of us does our own little bit of trying this, then we can influence everybody and hopefully make make a shift and turn those horrible statistics around for the next three decades. (laughs) That's exactly it. We just need to start by being a little more intentional. It doesn't have to be hard. It can be easy. But if we do simple little ways to weave empathy into our daily parenting, we'll make a major difference on our children and on their peers so that we're making their world a better place. So thank you so much for joining me today on Perspectives, Michelle. It has been wonderful talking to you. I wish I had much more time so that we could really go in depth. Um, But I hope that I listeners got something out of it. I've been talking to Michelle Borba about the importance of ensuring that our children are raised to be more empathetic and what we can do about it. So check out her book, Unselfie. This is Dr. Vidisha Patel, your host for Perspectives. I look forward to being back with you next week for another edition. Feel free to email me at drvforkids at yahoo.com with any questions or comments. Have a wonderful week and until next time. Thank you for listening to our program this week. Another edition of Perspectives with Dr. Vidisha Patel can be heard next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, have a lovely week.